Wow, that was so awesome. <laughs> kind of a, a taste of family night and uh, <laughs> uh, vintage, vintage church by the sea. Um, as I was working on this message, for some reason God put on my heart the Blumenfeld and Oster families, and so this is for them. Uh, we're in Acts chapter 2 this morning. And it's such an exciting moment in church history uh, when the Holy Spirit uh, uh, came and filled these believers or baptized them uh, with the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. And that was uh, followed by this amazing first sermon of Peter when 3,000 people recognized Jesus as the Messiah. And uh, last Saturday night, a a number of us went up to the L.A. Coliseum. Uh, They had an event there, Azusa Now, The Call, and uh, it was, the date they chose was the 110th anniversary of the Azusa Street Revival. And I think the hope of the organizers was that this gathering might be a spark for revival. And there was a gifted young evangelist who preached uh, from Acts chapter 2, the same chapter uh, we're in this morning. And, and uh, so I thought it was a wonderful coincidence that that would be the key chapter they chose for that event, and it's the same chapter that Jeff started on last week, and I'm finishing on this week. But it was great to see the hunger among so many of, the, so many of these young people who were there to see one more great revival before Jesus returns. As Jeff described in his uh, sermon last week, our setting for Acts 2 is on the day of Pentecost, and that is 50 days after uh, the Jewish Passover. And, uh, of course, 50 days before this event, Jesus was crucified as our Passover lamb. On Pentecost, 130 followers of Jesus were gathered in this upper room, Uh, at a prayer gathering, and uh, suddenly this sound of a mighty rushing wind came in, enough so that all kinds of people around them could hear this sound. Then tongues of fire uh, descended over their heads, and they began to speak in these tongues, languages, that were unknown to them. But miraculously, these were known languages for many of the pilgrims who were in Jerusalem at that time. Uh, as Jeff mentioned, uh, Pentecost was a harvest festival. And this is when the Jewish people would bring uh, the first part of their wheat harvest uh, as, to give uh, at the temple. And there were thousands of visitors crammed into Jerusalem at this time from all over the Mediterranean region and Asia Minor. And these pilgrims heard this commotion, this uh, amazing sound, and they came running to see What was going on? And we can see here that the sending of the Holy Spirit was strategically timed by God to reach the widest possible audience. Because many of these people were changed as a result of this, and they would go back to their countries and testify about what they had seen and heard. So the Holy Spirit fell on a day devoted to harvest, giving the disciples a power to witness, and some 3,000 people uh, 
began to follow Jesus as a result. And that began a harvest of souls that has continued for the last 2,000 years. This download of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost was a fulfillment of John the Baptist's preaching. If you recall, he said, I baptize with water, but one who, who is coming, Jesus, will baptize with fire and with the Holy Spirit. I like to start my day with a morning devotional, and uh, usually uh, in my devotional, when I have my prayer time, I'll ask God for a filling of the Holy Spirit. And I, I, had, I recommend that, to ask for that daily filling. But uh, what happened at Pentecost uh, was something unusual. Uh, this, was, this was something more than just a filling. This was a drenching. And they were drenched with the Holy Spirit, and it gave them a boldness for witness such as they had never known. After the Holy Spirit fell with this sound that was like a tornado, uh, and 120 people were, were praising God in all these different languages, uh, these people gathered and they were bewildered. These uh, pilgrims and others from, from around that area were, were uh, amazed, marveling at this spectacle. But then came mockers and detractors who accused the disciples of being drunk. Now, whenever revival breaks out, there are always going to be naysayers and cynics. You see that throughout all the great revivals of church history. But who would answer these mockers? Who would stand up and explain what was happening and share the truth? Well, one man stood up named Peter. Could this be the same man who had just recently denied that he even knew Jesus three times? Could this be the same man who was slow to believe in the resurrection? Could this be the same man who had often inserted foot A in mouth B too many times? But impetuous Peter, baptized by the Holy Spirit, was suddenly, he had this supernatural boldness to preach and an authority that went far beyond himself. Let's uh, open to Acts chapter 2, and we're going to look at verse 14. Let me pray as we open God's word. Lord, open the eyes of our hearts now. Grant us a spirit of revelation. Uh, that you would become more real to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, quote, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams, even on my male servants and female servants. In those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heaven, heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor and smoke. 
The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, that great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now Peter says here that uh, even though they may be, appear to be drunk, uh, it's only 9 o'clock in the morning, so they cannot be intoxicated. And I love the fact that they were at a prayer gathering at this time of the day in an upper room. And as many of you know, in our own church, at that time of the day, we also gather for prayer six mornings a week. Peter quotes from the book of Joel in the Old Testament in this section that describes the Holy Spirit being poured out in the last days. And the last days are the time from when Jesus first came to the time of his second coming. That is the last days. Now, 500 years before Jesus even appeared, Joel gave this prophecy. And he described a a time when young men would be uh, seeing visions, sons and daughters would be prophesying. And I love this, that he's he's pointing out the youth. And uh, that God says that young people are going to be playing an important role uh, when he brings revival. And uh, that revival could start anywhere. It could start right here in Laguna Beach. And I I think there's a very good chance it could be sparked among our young people. On the other hand, God didn't leave out us older folks either. (laughs) He said, we're going to dream dreams. So you're really never too young or too old to have a God-inspired dream or vision for your life. Uh, After all, Moses was 80 when God called him to lead the Hebrew people out of Egypt. Caleb was 85 when God uh, uh, put on his heart that Caleb said, I want to take that mountain in the promised land. Um, John Wesley was 88 years old. He was still riding on horseback from church to church and preaching. And of course, someone in our own in our own church at age 55, God appeared to him in a burning bush, uh, Pete Moore, and said, go compete in that Iron Man. (laughs) (laughs) I may have embellished that a little bit. (laughs) I don't care how old you are, your age doesn't matter if God calls you and plants a dream in your heart. So keep God's vision alive. Keep his vision alive. In my role as a Christian journalist writing stories about the church around the world, I am struck by how often I see these stories about uh, Muslims, Hindus, people in other countries having encounters with Jesus through dreams and visions. And just this week, I wrote a story about a young Pakistani man uh, named Ali Husnain, and uh, when he was 15 years old, he traveled from Pakistan to England to visit his aunt, and when he got there, he was very dismayed to find out that his aunt had become a Christian, and he thought this was awful, that it dishonored their family. Uh, Out of curiosity, he went to church with her uh, just to see what was going on. 
And at the end of this pastor's message, he did an altar call. And uh, he said, if you want to see Jesus, come forward. And compelled by the Holy Spirit, Ali went forward. Uh, The pastor put his hands on him and prayed for him. And he said that as this pastor was praying, there there was a light behind his eyelids that kept getting brighter and brighter. And then all of a sudden, his legs felt just really weak, and he just collapsed on the floor. And then Jesus appeared to him in a vision, and he said, my son, you wanted to see me. I'm here. Obey me. I will forgive your sins and give you eternal life. Well, that night, Ali went back to his aunt's house, went to sleep, and amazingly, Jesus appeared to him in a dream a second time. And in this dream, Jesus said, do not be afraid, I will protect you. Well, he was going to need that protection when he went home to Pakistan. So he goes home to Pakistan and he, he thought, well, I'm going to try to keep my faith hidden. Uh, he's a brand new believer. But somehow it slipped out. He got in an argument with his classmates at school and they had this argument over what happens when you sacrifice an animal? Does that take away your sins? And he just couldn't hold back anymore. And he said, well, sacrificing to an animal isn't going to take away your sins. Only if you pray to Jesus is that going to take away your sins. And he saw the the startled look on their faces and knew that he was going to be in trouble. Well, the next day after school, these classmates attacked him. They threw him to the ground They pinned his arms and his legs, and then an older man with a beard and a turban came up, and he said, you tried to make converts of our children. Islam gives me the right to kill you, to kill any infidel that speaks against our beloved prophet. So the man reached into his coat, pulled out a knife, and stabbed Ali in the chest, uh, narrowly missing his heart but puncturing his lung. So he, Ali went unconscious, and Jesus appeared to him in a vision a third time, and he said, Jesus said to him, you were injured because you were defending me. I will not let you die. I will protect you. And Ali survived this attack. He uh, is currently living in England under asylum, But his dream is to go back to Pakistan and start a medical clinic and to preach the gospel. What a courageous individual. There's another great story from uh, one of Sam's uh, friends that visited recently named Tyler. And uh, Tyler went to the Middle East to minister to Syrian refugees. And when he was there, he met up with this young missionary named Daniel from Vermont who was already there. He was 24 years old, felt called to go over and live among these Syrian refugees. And they would go from tent to tent, uh, just sharing the love of Jesus and, and getting to know people. And uh, so one night they go to this tent, this, a Muslim family of about eight or ten people are in this tent, and Daniel pulls open the entrance and he says, Hello, my name is Daniel, I'm here to tell you about Jesus. And everybody in this tent just suddenly goes nuts. And the father starts yelling, 
and there's this big commotion, and so they're wondering, you know, uh-oh, what, you know, what just happened? And so the, their translator explained that the night before, the same family was having tea together, another man appeared in their doorway. This man was wearing white robes, and he was glowing, and he said, my name is Jesus, I'm sending a man tomorrow named Daniel to tell you about me. <clears throat> so there are amazing stories almost every week that I see uh, like these uh, uh, coming from all over the world. Re- going back to our passage in verse 21, there's a, a wonderful note there. And no matter how dark this world may be looking, it says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. If everything seems to be falling apart in your world, if life isn't making sense, call on the name of the Lord and you will be saved. There is power in Jesus' name. Let's look at verse, verses 22 and 23. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. One thing you can say about this first sermon of Peter. It is a spirit-filled, Christ-centered message as he goes on to testify about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Peter himself had seen the miracles, and undoubtedly there were many in the, in, among the people listening to him who had either seen them or knew somebody who had seen the miracles. There are people today who view Jesus as a, uh, a good teacher or a prophet, but they can't quite believe that he is God. But when have you ever heard of anyone else in history who is able to walk on water? Who else in history was able to feed 5,000 people with a few loaves and fishes? Who else in history could turn water into wine, or restore sight to a man who was born blind. When Peter talked about these mighty miracles, he says, these were in your midst as you yourselves know. He says all these things, even Jesus' death on the cross was part of God's divine plan. Jesus didn't die as as part of just an incident or an accident. It was God's rescue mission to deal with the problem of human sin. Now today, in our country, if you violate one of man's laws, you may get a fine. Uh, If you do something worse, you may face a jail sentence. Uh, If you were to murder someone, you, you may get the death penalty. Even something as minor as a traffic ticket, a parking ticket, has to be paid for. And the God of this universe who created it has a right to make the rules of how the universe operates. 
And in his universe, sin has to be paid for. There is a penalty attached to sin. So the more you sin, the greater that penalty builds up. And the farther you get away, you distance yourself from God. And ultimately, the, the scripture says the wages of sin, what you earn when you sin, is death and eternal separation from God. But the good news is that God made a way to deal with this, with this penalty for sin through a substitute, Jesus, who paid that penalty on your behalf. God says that either your sins are going to be punished or they're going to be pardoned. But they cannot be overlooked. And some, some think that God's love is so great, His mercy is so great, and He's so gracious that He, he could not punish sin or send someone to hell. But we would say that if a judge allowed a rapist or a murderer to walk free, that an injustice had been done. God is too holy, too righteous, too good to overlook sin. He says that no sinful person can enter into his holy presence in heaven unless this sin problem is taken care of. The good news is that God so loved the world, he sent his only son to deal with this problem by dying on the cross for your sins. Will you accept his pardon today? It's a free gift. You just have to open your heart to receive the gift. Let's look at verse 24. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death, because it was not possible, possible for him to be held by it. And he goes on to explain, essentially, the case for the resurrection of Jesus. Now, when I was 29, I, I read a book called Evidence That Demands a Verdict. Uh, I, was, I was an unbelieving skeptic, but somebody had recommended this book to me. And it was the chapter on the resurrection that I knew was a crucial chapter because Christianity really rises and falls on this historical event. And the author goes through every argument that has been raised, every theory as to what, in order to refute the resurrection. And in my opinion, using sound reasoning, he demolishes every argument. And I was left without excuse. I got down on my knees and uh, prayed the prayer at the end of the book and my life changed after that. The empty tomb of Jesus sets him apart from the leader of every other world religion. The tomb of Muhammad is occupied, and you can visit it in Medina, Saudi Arabia. The remains of Buddha are at a, at a shrine in Sri Lanka. The uh, tomb of Confucius is occupied. You can visit that in China. But Jesus' tomb is empty. My father passed away a year ago. And uh, because he prayed to receive Christ uh, at our kitchen table when he was 80 years old, I know that someday I'm going to see him again. And he's going to have a, a youthful 
glorified resurrection body. This resurrection power of God is something that no man can duplicate. Even the most brilliant scientists cannot bring life out of death. They cannot transform the human heart. They cannot bring hope out of hopelessness. Only resurrection power can do that. Well, I'm going to pray in just a moment, and uh, you can pray along with me. If you have never made the that decision that you want to follow Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You can pray right along with me to uh, receive him this morning. And I promise life will change from this point forward. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Jesus, I uh, confess that I have gone my own way. That I have been a rebel. I confess that I've been a sinner, but... I want to make a U-turn. I want to turn away from my sins and turn toward you. I ask you now to fill me, baptize me with your Holy Spirit. And I, 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 I believe that you died and rose again. And right now I, I want you to change me into the person that you want me to be. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.